All right. Hello, Dorisville Baptist Church. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? We are so glad to welcome our Facebook and YouTube audiences. God bless you and also those of you on uh, 102.3 FM WEBQ. We are so glad to have you on the radio and those who will be watching this in the future. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. And I want to say thank you again to our tech team and worship team, the folks that's gathered here on Wednesday night to worship with us. We are so grateful and glad um, that you are here. We are indeed blessed. And I tell you what, that song, Is He Worthy, is just incredible. It reminds us one of the greatest truths in the Word of God is that He is worthy. He is worthy. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. When, when, we, when we lose sight of His worthiness, it is then that we begin to get into that religion mode and, our, and it slowly just dries up like, like a desert. And when we focus and refresh on Jesus, then guess what? It stays alive. He's the living water. He's the living water. Well, first off, thank you, Brother Brent, for filling in um, last week. Appreciate that so much. And uh, we started a new series last week um, entitled Base Camp. Base Camp. And, uh, and so a base camp. Say, so what is a base camp, Dwayne? Well, here's the deal. Um, it, it can be several mountains, but the most famous one, of course, is Everest, Mount Everest. And what you do is you have to have places where you can stop and prepare for the summit, okay? Um, base Camp 1 for for Everest is located in Nepal. Now watch this. Hello. Okay. It takes you nine days to get to the base camp. In other words, it takes you nine days to even start. Okay. And two of those are rest days. So built into those nine, you've got seven days that you walk, hike up the mountain, um, up a mountain, and then you rest for two full days spread out in between. And the reason why is when you get to the base camp, you're at 17,000. Now, this isn't the mountain. This is the base camp. 17,598 feet. You've gone up that far already, and you're just at the base camp. And the purpose of the base camp is to prepare you to summit, to, to give your body time to acclimate and, you know, the altitude and all of that, to prepare you to succeed in your quest for the summit. Well, you see spiritual applications of that all over the place, okay? And so in base camp, we're going to look at three different things we can do. We're going to assume we make it to the base camp, all right? And you know, by the way, you know what's really sad? A lot of people just stay in the base camp. They never even attempt the summit. And then I lied a lot of Christians. You know, we get saved and we're all excited. Yay, Jesus. Yay, Jesus. And then we decide that, you know what? Base camp's good enough. It's kind of like, like the half-tribe that stayed on the other side of Jordan. This is good enough for us. We don't need the promised land. We'll just stay on this side of the Jordan. Well, a lot of people never dare to take on the summit. But if you do, if you get the base camp, there are three things that really need to happen spiritually, okay? And, by the way, physically. One is you need to be strong. You've got to gather your strength up. And that's exactly what Brother Brent preached about last week. You know, in, in uh, Joshua chapter 1, particularly verse number 9, you know, be strong, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous. Three times that, that Joshua was reminded of this. So, so you spend some time at base camp gathering your strength, okay? And then I wish I'd used a different word than packing after I thought about it. Well, I would rather use the word gathering. So we'll just change it tonight, okay? Let's change it to gathering. We are gathering. So, so what you do is you start saying, what am I going to take at the summit? 
What do I need to say? We had the funniest story, and this isn't in the notes or anything, but um, we used to, um, back at Cobden days, um, we had an annual trip, and we would hike to Mount Lacan. And Mount Lacan is the highest um, full-time lodge on top of a mountain. It takes it five and a half miles up to get there, and um, it's quite a, really quite an adventure. And one of the couples that went to our church, you know, he gets out of the truck, okay, and he's got his pack. Now, my pack is about this big, okay? His pack was this big, and I'm not being funny. It was that big, and he's about my height, you know, so he, he you know, puts his pack on like this. Well, what's hilariously funny is, is that his wife packed a curling iron. There is no electricity on top of Mount Lacan, and we're going... Bill, what are you doing with the curling iron, Christy? You know, you're not going to need that. So, so you've got to decide what are you going to take on the trip, what is necessary, and what is required for the trip. And then the third week, we're going to look at trekking. We're going to do the final preparations, and we're going to launch off into the summit. So I think it's going to be very interesting. I think it really will. Now, now tonight, we're in Second Peter chapter 1. And you know what I think? I told uh, Lynn in the office today, I think this is one of the most powerful set of scriptures in the entire New Testament. It really is. And tonight, I want to use this word. It's one of the most exciting scriptures in the New Testament. It really is. It's just packaged. God, God led Peter to write it and package it in such a way. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. So we want to look tonight, what do we need to take? What's required for us to go up on the summit? So 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. And it starts out with the name of the author. It starts out with Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Simon was Peter's old name. When he was a fisherman, he was known as Simon the Fisherman. And then Jesus comes along and gives him a new name. He says, you're going to be called Peter or Small Rock. So we have, it's interesting, we have Peter using both names here, representing the old Peter and the new Peter. And you know, each one of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior had that old new thing going on. We know the old nature hangs around, okay? We see that in Romans chapter 7. Very clearly, Paul struggled with it, okay? But thank God we have the new nature. That if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We've got that new nature. Now, I know, I know, you're probably sitting there going, Simon Peter. You know that name rings a bell, okay? And it does. But here's the deal. Here's what's sad. And we do this all the time. When we think of Simon Peter, we think of failure. You know, Pete, Simon Peter was... One, who betrayed Jesus. Well, who denied him. You know, three times. No, I don't know him. No, 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 no. You know, it's just a sad situation. It really was. But that's what we instantly think of Peter. We think of the word failure. And that's sad. Is there someone in your life that whenever their name comes to to mind, you think of failure? Is it you? you? Is there something in your past or maybe yesterday or maybe today that something happened and when you think of that, you think of Failure? Well, follow this. Follow this. Failure is not a disqualifier, but rather a preparer for great things. I love this. Failure is not a disqualifier, but rather a preparer for great things. Um, if, If we see this, if we see it differently, we'll see ourselves differently. If we can see failure this way, We'll see ourselves differently. I'm telling you, Satan takes it like a baseball bat and beats us over the head, and we allow him to do it. You're a failure. You're a failure. You're a failure. You call yourself a Christian. You call yourself this. You call that self. But you fail, and you fail, and you fail. And we buy that lie. Hook, line, and sinker. 
But we can start to begin to understand that, that it's not a disqualifier. But it could be, it could be that God is preparing us. See, the rest of that quote, that teaching point says this. God used, okay, God used Peter's failure with pride to prepare him to lead in humility. God used Peter's failure when he said, I will never deny you in pride to make him a leader in humility. I would say this. I said this. Listen, if God can use Peter's failure, he can use your failure. Um, Failure might well... Now, come on now. Stay with me. Failure might well be the biggest 828. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. It might well be the biggest 828. The things that we want to sweep under the rug, the things we want to hide, God may turn around and use them in a greater way than we can imagine to touch lots of people. We've seen it in testimonies in this church as people bravely stood before the church family and said, yeah, this happened in my life. And now this is what God has done in my life. And when we see that, we see the power of His forgiveness and His grace. And it's amazing. It's amazing. So, so when you think of Peter, don't think failure. Think of one who God worked through and brought back great success. And when you look yourself in the mirror, what is it? Come on. What is it? It's something in your life. What is it? Don't look in your mirror and go, I'm a failure. No, I failed. <laughs> but that doesn't mean I'm a failure. It means God's preparing me for something that is great. So he goes on, once he gives his name, Simon Peter, the old and the new, um, he is a, two things, he is a servant and an apostle. Isn't that great? Isn't that great balance? He knows he doesn't say apostle and servant. He says, I'm a servant and I'm an apostle. And it's really cool because the word um, servant there is the word bond slave. Bond slave. It's someone who willingly serves a master. Uh, you've probably heard this like 8,000 times. But what they would do is they would take a, a large nail and they would put the person's ear up to a piece of wood and drive this all, this big nail through their ear. And when people saw, when people saw that, they didn't see, oh, he's a slave. They saw he's a bond slave, one who, whoo, one who loves his master and surrenders to him. That's what Peter was. He said, I love Jesus and I surrender to him. So he said, I'm a servant, I'm a bond slave, but I'm also an apostle. An apostle. Now, interesting enough, please understand, I do not believe there are apostles today. I know there are churches that teach that, and that's their, that's their deal. But here, listen to this. An apostle was someone who witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ. Okay, and then one who was a sent forth as a messenger. Okay, now, at least a way, listen to this. Now, don't freak out on me, okay? One, we all should be bond slaves. We should all be surrendered to Christ. The battle should be over. Uh, the, the, the debate of whether he is Lord of lords or not should be settled. When we, when we accepted Jesus, this Jesus Christ of the cross and we surrendered and he forgave our sins, we took him on as Lord and we became his bond slave. And while we may not be an apostle in the biblical sense, are we witnesses? We better be. We are witnesses. We got a message to tell. We got a story to tell to a world out there desperately needs Jesus Christ. Yeah, we're witnesses. Are we messengers? Absolutely. Tell me the old, old story. We are messengers also. 
So, so Simon Peter, the old and the new, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now look who he addresses it to. He says, to those who have received a faith equal to ours. Now, you know what's great about that? I know, I know. Here's what we do. We take somebody like Peter. Even though we see him as a failure, oh, man, Peter, there, you know, Peter was like so powerful with God, and, and Peter had this super faith, and Peter this, and Peter that. He says, no, no, no. Your faith is just like my faith. The same faith that Peter had, you've got. How, how did Peter come to Jesus? By faith. How did Peter walk? By faith. How'd you, Chrissy, how did you come to Jesus? You came by faith, didn't you? And, and how do we walk day by day? By faith. By faith. Okay? So he says, to those of you have a faith equal to ours. But he doesn't stop there. He goes further and says, through the righteousness of our God. Through our righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Where did that righteousness come from? Uh-huh. The Bible says, and he who, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So the way we're going to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ and him imputing his righteousness on us. Brent, we ain't got no righteousness. Our righteousness stinks. It just does. All our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags, dirty rags. Okay, but here comes Jesus, and he says, Hey, Dwayne, i got a deal for you. I'm always up for a deal. He says, You give me your filthy sin, and I'll give you my perfect righteousness. And when you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And Peter says, Peter says, so, so here's the old man, the new man. Here's the apostle, the witness, and here's a servant. Okay, but he also says, Look, I'm writing you because you've got the same kind of faith I do. Don't put me on a pedestal. You have the same kind of faith as I do. And we share the same righteousness, the imputed righteousness. It's, it's an accounting term that, that credits something to my account. Okay? So, so, you know, Brent loves me so much. So Brent just goes to the bank and says, would you put $10,000? And two things are going to happen. Actually, three things are going to happen. Three people are going to die. Tracy's going to kill him. Then she's going to die of a heart attack. And when I see Brent put the money in my account, I'm going to die of a heart attack. Okay, so three people are going to wipe out. But let's say he did that. So what he did was he would impute that money to my account. It went from him. Come on now. Shoot that thing. It went from his account to my account. And Jesus Christ took righteousness from his account and put it on my account. Somebody say amen. I'm telling you what, that is nothing short of good Good news. And that's what happens. And that's what happens. Now, here's the deal. He doesn't stop there. He just keeps adding to this. That's why it's such an exciting scripture. In verse 2, he says, Now, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, here's what's so good. Grace, unmerited favor. Grace, I'm married to faith. Now, he ties in, he marries these two together. Grace and peace. When you truly experience and when you truly understand grace, you get peace in the deal. See, when you experience grace, your sins are forgiven and you have peace with God. And as you walk under God's grace, you have the peace of God in your life. In your life. 
So Peter says, may these two that are tied or married together, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You know, there's a multiplication factor. So, so how, how does grace and peace get multiplied? How does grace and peace get multiplied? How does your grace increase and how does your peace increase? All right, look what it says. Be multiplied to you through the, through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the more we study and understand who God is, our grace and peace is multiplied. See, the problem is we don't know the Word of God so we got a little God. You wonder why you struggle with so much stuff in your life, in my life? Because we got a little God. We, we don't understand who He is and how powerful He is. We don't understand all the aspects of His holiness and His character. So we have a little God. A little God. But, but if, we, if we have it multiplied through the knowledge of Him, we begin understanding who He is. And, and number two, we apply His Word. It's good to read his word. It's multiplied a zillion times when you apply his word. So when you understand who God is and then you apply his word, grace and peace are multiplied. Grace and peace are multiplied. And these are huge things. I like what Rick Warren said. You know, Rick Warren said, I like this a lot. You should write this down. And by the way, if you've got the worship event, I hope you do have it open on your phone. This is all in there. So I hope you've got that open tonight, uh, this morning. It says that, and, and Rick Warren said this, in God's garden of grace... In God's garden of grace, even a broken tree can bear fruit. You know what I just thought about? Dry bones. Even dry bones, when God breathes on them, can come to life. Dry bones, dry bones, come back to life. Even in, even in God's garden of grace, even a broken tree can, come, can bear fruit. And then Sheila Wash said this, a teacher said, said, Peace is not the absence of trouble. See, if you're waiting for the absence of trouble in this world... You're going to wait a long time. The coronavirus has shook us up because we're waiting for the absence of trouble to have peace again. You know, when people say, I'm waiting for normalcy, they're really saying they want peace. Well, peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Christ. And that can happen now. That, that, that can happen in the worst, Dwight, that can happen in the worst storm of your life. The worst storm of your life. So Peter goes on and says this. Now, now this is a huge statement. Okay? So again, if you get the app open, you should be highlighting it. If you're taking notes, you should be writing this down. Look at 2 Peter 1.3, the first part. His divine power, His resurrection divine power has given us, has given us everything. Not going to give us, has given us everything required for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything we need for a for life and for godliness. See, one thing that was frustrating, um, as much as I loved the Air Force when I was in, they had this terrible uh, habit. They would tell you to do something and not give you the tools to do it. You know, recently, when I moved into my house a long time ago, um, there was a piece of wire sticking out of the dirt. And so for 20 years, for 20, 20 years, I, I would mow around this piece of wire. Sometimes I would forget, and it would hit the blade. And, and, then, and then worse than that, then you're weed eating, you know. And you're weed eating, you're trying to stay away from the little wire sticking up, you know. And, and you get too close, and it crabs it like that, and your, your weed ear chokes down. And 
You know what finally happened? Ryobi, well, Home Depot, had a sale, and they had a sale where if you bought a tool, they gave you two free batteries. So I already told you I like a deal. I love a deal. So, so what I did was, so I sit there, and, and I got this deal. And the deal was a grinder, a cutter grinder. Okay, I tried to hacksaw this sucker. I'd got some big old bolt cutters and tried to cut this sucker, and I couldn't do it. I took my little 18-volt right OB grinder. Ooh, ooh, somebody say, Tim the two-man tailor. Okay, and I took, that, I took that sucker out there and fired her up, you know, and that thing went, done, 20 years of agony, over just like that. You know why? Had the right tool. See, when you've got the right... See, God wants us to thrive, not just survive. So He equips us with everything we need for the Christian life. He gives us everything required for life and godliness. Now, in Flip, and this came from Dan Pilcher's Sunday School class uh, Sunday morning. In Philippians 2.13, he used this verse. It's great. For it is God who works in you. Somebody said works in you. It is God who works in you. Okay? All right? God works in you to will... And to work for His good pleasure. He equips you. It's His will. And He works in your life. Okay? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you. Now, He knows He doesn't say grace. Every grace. Uh, for instance, giving is a grace. Paul says that over uh, in Ephesians, I believe, or 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy. He says, you know, that God gives you. Let this grace be abounding in you also. So, so God has given us every grace and overflow to you so that in every way, listen, listen, always having everything you need. If you're going to summit, you've got to have everything you need. And God, and God makes sure you got it. And God makes sure you got it. You don't have to go down to Walmart or, or Rule King and buy it. He makes sure that you've got the tools that you need. Having everything you need, you may excel, not just, not just survive. You may thrive, okay? You may excel in every good work. Every good work. Listen to Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Him, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But here's the part I want to grab. And you are complete. In Him. You are complete. There are three ways to make pancakes. Number one, you get Judy's cookbook out. This doesn't go very far. You get Judy's cookbook out and it says how to make pancakes and you have to have water and oil and flour, self-rising, I think, I don't know, um, eggs and about three of salt, sometimes some vanilla. Beyond me. Beyond me. Okay. So then, then there's this other kind. You go to, to the grocery store. Since John's here, we'll go to Kroger. Okay. Since John's here, he works at Kroger. So we'll go to Kroger and we get us some Aunt Jemima pancake mix. Okay. You look on the back and all you've got to add is some, you know, well, you got to add oil and eggs. Well, now, I, I could probably do that. But Brent, there's one more. See, Brent mouth, water. That's number three. You go to number three, and it's look on the back of the package. It says you pour one cup of this stuff in the thing and add a fourth cup of water and stir that sucker up and flop it into the pan and boom, bang, zero, you've got pancakes. Guess what it says on that box? Complete 
pancake mix. Everything you need besides a little bit of water, you got yourself some pancakes. Well, and now listen, in Christ Jesus, you are complete. Come on now, somebody say amen. You are complete in Him. You, you, you don't have to go work up something. You don't have to get all emotional, fired up about something. You got it all. When you got Jesus, you got everything. Come on, I'll say it again. When you got Jesus, you got everything. You got everything. You're complete. Amen. You are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. How incredible strong is that. Now, you got to be careful. You got to be careful because there's counterfeits and distractions out there. Okay, with all that wonderful truth, all right, there's counterfeits and distractions. Uh, the church at Colossae had that problem. Colossae had that problem. Okay? And here's what Paul wrote to them to warn them. Beware lest anyone um, cheat you, uh, deceive you, rob you. Even in one translation, he used the word captive. Be careful that someone doesn't take you captive through philosophy and empty seat. Now, there's nothing wrong with philosophy. I mean, there's a Christian philosophy. Okay? But these Gnostics were so... Big on knowledge. They just consumed knowledge. And so what they did was... Now listen, 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 listen. They had a twisted world view. You better hear me tonight. And I better hear me tonight. There are a lot of twisted world views out there. And listen, for the Christian, for the Christ follower, for, for the believer in Jesus, the only world view is this world view. It does not matter what your politics are. Come on, somebody say amen. It doesn't matter what political party you belong to. You don't matter what your mama said. It don't matter what your daddy said. It doesn't even matter what region of the country you were raised. There's one worldview. It's the view of this wonderful word called the Bible. Okay? So be careful. Be careful then of these philosophies that are vain. See, and look, even Nelsie says, according to the tradition of men. Well, you know, so and so said. Well, our tradition believes. Our denomination believes. Again, no matter what denomination you belong to, if your denomination has something that they believe, and if it's not based on the Bible, change denominations. Change denominations. So, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and this is really weird. This, the, the, um, the Greek translated as the basic elements of the world. The basic elements of the world. And, and it's like the ABCs. It's like the, the numbers of the different elements and chemicals. Okay? It's, it's those. But, but the Gnostics, in this, in this context, the Gnostics were teaching as these basic principles of the world, angel worship and astrology. How about that? Isn't that funny? You ever got hooked in astrology? Is that the right thing where you, where you look in the paper and see what your sign says? To study the stars for the purpose of telling the future? Yeah. Be careful. He's so good at tricking us. Amen? He's so good at tricking us. So, so be careful of that. Because that's not a Christ. Not according to Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. This is His Word. And we follow it. Now, that was the what. The what was He gave us everything required for life and godliness. This is how. Because you say, well, how does that happen? Okay, well, again, kind of redundantly says, through the knowledge of Him who calls us by His own glory and goodness. So how does that happen? How, how do we get that strength? How do we get that wisdom? Okay? How do we get those things? Okay? Well, it's through the knowledge of Him. 
Now, there's the kind of knowledge, okay, that you can read in a book. There's a knowledge that you can read in a book, okay? But then there's also a knowledge that can only be found in relationship. And that is what Peter's talking about. The knowledge that can be found in a relationship. So, so what we need to do then, we need to, um, we need to read the book, not a book. We need to read the book and deepen our relationship with Christ. Again, this will tell us, all, you, you, don't, you don't need a revelation of new truth. This is the revelation of God. Okay, this is the revelation. This is God revealing himself to mankind. Okay, so as we read and study the word of God, God reveals himself to us. Us. And in that revelation, then we find the depth that we need of Christ in our relationship um, with him. So he continues in verse 4, the, the first part. By these, by these, he has given us every great and precious promise. He has given us very great and precious promises. See, the Bible is a book of promises. Amen? The Bible is a book of promises. But here's what you need to know. Okay? There was a song, I don't remember, but two lines of it. But you know one of the songs when you're just a kid? You know, every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. And then it goes, every promise in the book is mine. And I don't remember the last line. You know what the problem with that is? Ain't true. There are so many people disappointed in God because they had a promise they found somewhere Okay, and God didn't deliver on that promise. What's up with that? Well, two things. One is you need to understand the difference between a promise and a principle. Okay, um, a promise is is um, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise, and it's true. Amen. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will never perish. That's a promise. Uh, The book of Proverbs is filled with principles. Okay? And I think, I meant to look this up, uh, Brent. I think it's it's Proverbs 22, 15, I believe. Train up a child and the way they will go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. That is not a promise. That's a principle. Because all of us know people, and maybe your children, maybe my children, you you brought them up godly, and they did not go the right way. Did God renege on his promise? No. He did not. That's not a promise. It's a principle. So be careful of that. Okay? And, and then second, the second big thing is, whose promise is it? Don't, don't go back to Genesis chapter 12 and grab a promise that God made to Abraham. All the nations in the world will be blessed because of you. God, thank you for your book because it contains the promise that all the nations will be blessed through me. Is that what he said? The promise was made to Abraham. So be careful when you grab a promise out of the Bible. Make sure it's a promise that God has made to his people in general and not to a specific person. Does that make sense? It's very important. It's very important. So, so by these, he's given us very great and precious promises. Just three great quotes real quick. Um, William Carey. William Carey was one of the fathers of missions. Fathers of missions. And he said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. The future is as bright as the promises of God. D.L. Moody, one of the greatest um, evangelists and also the founder of the modern day Sunday school. Um, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. Isn't that a good one? God never made a promise. Come on, is that good? You know, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. And Corey Tim Boone, she was a survivor. 
Choose five a year in a Nazi concentration camp. Let God's promises shine on your problems. Those are good quotes. Those are good thoughts. That's good human wisdom uh, to pass on to us tonight. So Peter continues. He continues. Now, now this is where I rearranged the slide on Tom. Um, you know, the promise of God impact us at two major intersections, okay? Salvation and sanctification. Let me say that again. There's a reason, okay? The promises of God impact us at, at two major intersections, okay? Salvation and sanctification. Now look at verse number four, the second part. He says, so that through them, through the great and precious promises, you may, one, share in the divine nature. That's salvation. That's how it intersects the promises of God. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise that intersects our lives when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then he says this escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. That's sanctification. That's sanctification. Uh, I love to confuse people every once in a while, and you are the chosen few tonight. Okay? So there was a day, my day was October 26, 1975, I was saved. I was saved, a date in history. I was regenerated, I was born again. But since that time, and through the time I take my last breath, I am being saved. I'm being sanctified. I'm being saved. And ultimately, one day, I will be ultimately saved when I am separated from the power and presence of sin forever. That's called heaven. Amen? That's called heaven. That's called heaven. So, so, so when Peter says, so that through them, through these promises, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. Salvation and sanctification. Now, he goes on down. Michael Horton um, said these. Again, another Christian teacher said, Christians are driven by God's promises. I'm motivated, nudged, pushed, shoved. Okay? Um, Christians are driven by God's promises and directed by God's purposes. So he helps us make the right decision and then keeps us on the right path. Right decisions, right path. All right? Now, St. Peter continues. Now, verse 5. I call this Lagos Legos. Lagos is the word, and Legos is what you build with. Okay? Here is verse number 5, the first part. For this very reason, because of salvation and sanctification, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Now, he's going to give us about six things here that we're going to build on top of. Okay? Are you with me still? Are you tracking with me still? Are you tracking with me? I, I can back up. We, we can go back. No, no. Okay. All right? So, we're going, to, we're going to look at building logos, logos, okay? Legos. All right? Now, first off, you'll notice he says your faith. Well, where does the faith come from? Where's, well, bleeding faith comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not yourself. So the faith to believe is not even ours. It's a gift from God, okay? So the, salva- the faith to believe, to be saved, is a gift from God. But also, in Romans ten seventeen, so so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we get our faith as a gift from God, and we get it through hearing and believing God's Word. So add to that faith then, that's the foundation, add to that faith goodness. We'll just spend a moment on each one of these. Moral excellence and character. Your goodness is moral excellence and character. That should be part of your foundation, okay, part of your wall, okay? Then supplement your goodness with knowledge. 
And that simply is seeking to know what is known. Not for the purpose of just knowing. See, that's the deal. We, we have, we're, almost in a, we're almost in an age when to know is blessed. Well, I think knowledge is great. But if knowledge isn't changing your life, if you know just to know, what power is that in there? I mean, you may be an expert at theology and Bible, but if it's not changing your life, what's the deal? What's the deal? So it should be a knowledge that changes your life. So supplement your goodness with knowledge and then supplement your knowledge with self-control. And that's exactly what it means to exercise complete control in every situation. Then Peter goes on and says, supplement your self-control with endurance. And this is what I entitled a COVID classic because endurance means the ability to bear up under difficult circumstances. During this time of craziness, endurance is still trusting Jesus. Still trusting Jesus. Then Peter says, supplement your endurance with godliness, which is an appropriate belief and practice of God. Are, are there inappropriate beliefs and practices of God? You better believe there is. You better believe there is. So, so Peter says, don't supplement with the inappropriate, supplement it with appropriate beliefs and practices of God. Then supplement your godliness with brotherly affection. With brotherly affection. Okay? Be affectionate one toward another. Not infection, affection. Boy, it's really, you know, it's one thing about these small crowds. Your chances of getting a laugh is a lot small. Did you experience that last week? Yeah, I can, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm going to trust y'all. No, I didn't say infection. I said affection. <laughs> there you go. Woo-hoo! All right. And then supplement your brotherly affection with love. And that is agape. That is dying. That is sacrificial Love. So, so we are to do that. So she say, well, Dwayne, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you said, you said God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And then we got this big old long list that we're supposed to build on top of this. On top of it. Whoa. Oh, no, 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 no. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, and you're going to see almost every one of those listed here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How about that, amen? How about that? He gives us what we need to do life and do it godly. And do it godly. So Peter goes on. If you, now I like this. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, <laughs> they will keep you from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So hang on. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Now, if you're a writer-downer, I'm fixing you something to write down. This is not a statement about ownership, but stewardship. See, he doesn't say, if you possess these qualities and go on, they will. Because that implies if, you may not have them. That's not what he says. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, increasing measure. So the if is with possessing these qualities and increasing in them. That's the if. Everything, again, everything that we need to do life and do it godly, God has given us. But what are we doing with those gifts? What are we doing? Are we being good stewards of what God places in our heart and our lives? If God's giving you the gift to teach, are you teaching? If God's giving you the gift to sing, are you singing? If God's giving you the gift of evangelism, are you intentionally strong in evangelism? If God has blessed you financially, are you giving abundantly? 
If God, you know, however God has gifted you, are you being a good steward of those? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because if we are, if we are, they will keep you from being useless. Okay? And that translates in the Greek, accomplishing nothing. Accomplishing nothing. Um, and being unfruitful or unproductive. You know, I thought about uh, Matthew 5. Is it, I forget my scripture. Yeah, 513. I thought it was. 513. You know, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Remember that? And, and then he says, you know, if the salt loses its savorness, its flavor, okay, it is good for nothing but to be trodden under men's feet. Remember that? Okay, okay. So here's a quiz. Are you ready? Here's a quiz. What do you call salt that's lost its saltiness? Sand. 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 Was salt created to be sand? No. It was a preserver. It was a flavorer. But if salt loses its savoriness, it's just sand. God didn't call us to be sand. He called us to be influencers. He called us to be preservers in this culture that we are in. So, so don't, you know, if you have these things that are increasing, you won't be useless and you'll be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read this to you. When we find ourselves feeling useless and unprofitable, useless and unprofitable, it is only a matter of time before you close up shop. When you find yourself being useless, and unprofitable, it's just a matter of time. We're going to preach on that in about a couple of months, so I won't stay a whole long here. But, but if you find your faith being unprofitable, it's just a matter of time. Relationships don't mean that much. You don't love the music that much. And you certainly don't like my preaching that much. If your faith is not turning to profit, there'll come a time when you'll close down shop. You're going to hear something scary. You're going to hear this in a couple of weeks, but you'll forget about it. When this conference we went to, the guy said, this, this guy's a national consultant. These are national surveys. This is, and I talked to my neighbor, and this is what he said. These are national surveys. 20 to 30%. 20 to 30% of the people who went to church before COVID-19 will not return. They're not mad. They just figured out, you know what? Life is about as good with us without it. Now, in our case... That could be as many as 40 to 50 people won't come back. Trey, they won't come back. They won't come back. That's scary. Is that scary? It is. And that's why, and that's why they're sitting, you know, they, they got out there somewhere and they were isolated from the house of God. And we understand why. We understand where we are now. Totally understand it. But they got away and all of a sudden they said, you know what? Why? I mean, I'm not mad at God. I just don't. It's not practical for me right now. And they, they found themselves in this useless, unprofitable situation. And they closed up the store. They closed up the store. There's a restaurant across from Morello's. It's not going to reopen. The, the pundits of the economics say uh, 40 to 50% of mom and pop stores won't reopen. They won't reopen. So we have to be very careful. Whether we're at home now, if you're watching this on YouTube, and that is cool, that's fine, okay, or you're in a worship service, we've got to make sure that we stay profitable. Because if a store is profitable, 
profitable, it won't go out of business. But when you lose the profit, it will. Very big. Very, very big. All right? Verse 9. The people, the person who lacks these things is blind, short-sighted, and has forgotten. Okay? Now, if I'd have said, um, if I'd have said, Nan, um, if I said a year ago, Nan, I've got a little bit of a cough. I've got a little bit of fever, and I'm just really tired. You might say, well, Dwayne, you might have the flu. You might want to go to the doctor. And everybody go, yep, sounds like, Lynn, that sounds like the flu, wouldn't it? You don't think that now, do you? You're tired, and you're, and you're uh, got a cough, dry cough, and a fever. You're going to get a test, because it might well be COVID-19. Those are the symptoms of a new disease. Well, Peter says these are symptoms. These are symptoms. The person who lacks these things, okay, has symptoms. Um, they're blind. They're unable to see um, spiritual things. Um, short-sighted. They are unable to understand. That's literally what that word translates, understand. They're unable to understand. And they've got amnesia, spiritual amnesia. They've forgotten the cleansing of his past sins. There's, so often we get wrapped up so much and what we want God to do, we forget what he's already done. Can, can I say that again? Can I say that again? We get so wrapped up in what we got, want God to do, we forget what he's already done. Um, we are forgotten the cleansing of his past sins. All right, well, I'm going to have to quit here. Um, but I want to close with this quote. Uh, I stumbled into this 20 years ago, 15 years ago. I was new here. And it's, it really describes that. It's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, famous author. And, and I think she's right. Earth, earth is crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven. We, see, we need to do that. You know, every time you see a beautiful sunrise, the heavens declare, amen, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God sunrises and sunsets and the beautiful flowers and a baby's face and, and all the things that we see. You know, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush is fire with God. You know, I love that song by Carrie Underwood. How much proof do you need? How much proof do you need? Look around. I saw um, Joe Buchanan. I'm already over a little bit, so it doesn't matter now. Joe Buchanan is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Metropolis. And apparently... Um, he's a, he takes pictures of stars. I don't know what kind of camera he's got. I don't know. It's got to be expensive, all I know. But he put a picture on Facebook, and you can actually see, and it's very clear, a picture he took of another galaxy. And it's this blue, yellow, spinning mass. I mean, it's just as clear as a day. You know? How much proof do you need? I mean, there's beyond our little solar system, there's billions and billions of galaxies all declaring the glory of God. Amen? All declaring the glory of God. So earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees, only the one who takes the time to look, only the one who pauses and looks at that, only he who sees takes off his shoes. Takes off his shoes and worship. God told Joshua outside of Jericho, 
take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. God told the people of Israel several times, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Only he who sees will take off his shoes and worship. The rest will sit around and pluck blackberries. So busy doing the mundane, they miss the glory of God. Be careful. I can't even fathom. Do you and I hike a lot? Uh, you know, two and a half, three miles, you know. But I can't imagine walking, you know, nine days. Well, actually, seven days, nine, two days rest. Hiking up to 17,598 feet on the goal of Everest, the journey of a lifetime. And you get to the base camp and say, Annie, that's enough. Thanks. Thanks, Everett. But this is enough. I pray to God that he'll speak to our hearts and that we won't stop. We'll go for the summit because he's equipped us for that journey. He's equipped us. Let's not settle one blessing short. Let's not settle one blessing short. Let's go for the summit. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you so very, very much um, for allowing us to be here tonight. I thank you for the incredible worship. Thanks for these dear folks who came out on Wednesday night. Father, I want to pray, God, that you have spoken uh, to their hearts, through their hearts, Lord, through the word and through the worship. We are so grateful. God, you're just incredibly generous how you have equipped us for all things. You didn't send us into the fray unequipped. You gave us everything we need for life and for godliness, and we're thankful. Um, so much for that. So we want to pray, God, that you will speak to our hearts. We pray for all the ones who are watching, Father, on Facebook and on YouTube and listening on the radio, that they've never experienced this marvelous grace, this wonderful forgiveness, that today might be that very day. So thank you so much for loving us. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.